Glad to see everyone out this morning and finally finally found parking and made the way in and all of those good things. But anyway, uh, glad to have everyone here. And we're going to uh, be in Acts chapter number 15 this morning. You're going to be finding your place in your Bibles. And uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer as you're, as you're finding your place. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. We do thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, watching over us, for taking care of us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to, to be here in church, Lord, and for the, the time of fellowship that we've already had together this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, meet with us here today. I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct me, Lord, in my thoughts, Lord. Help me, Lord, in the things that I say, that they would be uh, accurate and, and helpful, Lord. And I just pray that you would uh, please be with each person here that they would glean from the service exactly that which they need. Please be with those who are still on their way out today and watch over them. Be with those who are uh, unable to be here due to work or sickness or uh, whatever reasons, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, to ask you that you'd help us as a church, Lord, that we could uh, we could grow in our walk with you, that we could be a light and a witness in this place that you've put us in. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. amen. Okay, so Acts chapter number 15 is where we're at, and last week what we were looking at is what's often referred to as the Jerusalem Council. Uh, what was going on was that uh, there was a dispute in the Gentile churches about doctrine. Uh, the Jews were following after uh, Paul and Barnabas everywhere that they went, and as they were uh, seeing churches planted, people saved, and a congregations growing, these guys would come in along behind them and they would um, start teaching them extra things. They would start teaching them that they had to obey the law, they had to be circumcised, they had to keep the dietary restrictions, they had to do all of these different things in order to either remain saved or for them to uh, receive salvation to begin with. And so there were all of these things that they were trying to add to uh, salvation and there was a great danger that was taking place here uh, because if they were to add this system of rule keeping, this system of works to Christianity, uh, what Christianity would become is much different than what it is today. Uh, it would have just be, became another sect of Judaism. It would become just a, another works-based religion. And so Paul saw the danger in that, and he wanted to... Uh, he wanted to take care of that from the very beginning. He wanted to, to get that settled uh, and not allow that to fester, not allow it to grow. It was almost like a, a cancer growing within uh, the churches at that time. Uh, one dangerous thing about it was that the people who came were coming from Jerusalem and they were claiming the authority of the apostles. They were claiming the authority of the Jerusalem church and almost as somewhat of a mother church. And so as the Gentiles were acknowledging that uh, Jesus was of the Jews, that uh, the first church was at Jerusalem, that the uh, Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and there were tens of thousands saved there, that the apostles was there, all those things the Gentiles knew, and they said, well, that adds a lot of weight to their argument. So maybe that is the truth. Maybe we do need to do all of these things. And so Paul says we have to settle this because they're claiming an authority that they don't have. Teaching, uh, teaching things that are not true, and it is going to corrupt the churches. It's going to create problems, and it's going to be a hindrance to Gentiles getting saved, and it is also going to corrupt the gospel. It's going to add extra things to the gospel, which is going to make it uh, another gospel, which, as Paul says, another place, which is not another. It's not the gospel whatsoever, whenever you start adding to it. And so with what we looked at last week... Um, they sent to the Jerusalem church for a few different reasons. They sent to the Jerusalem church because that's where the problem was coming from. That's where the problem arose at. And uh, so if you are going to solve a problem, you need to go to the source, right? Uh, not only that, but there was uh, rooted and grounded men of God that was there that they could consult in this matter because this was a scriptural matter. If you have access to the apostles, uh, you ought to utilize that, right? Uh, and also, we said the third thing in this was that uh, the apostles and elders at Jerusalem was someone that both sides would respect, someone who would carry weight with both sides, uh, both uh, 
Paul and Barnabas, as well as with these guys who had came from the Jerusalem church, right? Mm -hmm. And so they went to this to, to solve this, and we spent a lot of time just talking about the reason behind this, this council and whatnot, but it also tells us uh, a little bit about how often Satan was coming at the church and attacking it, trying to sow division, trying to sow discord, trying to cause problems, trying to sneak in uh, extra biblical teachings and things like that, and how important it was for that early church to see to it that those things were taken care of quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's a great example for us that whenever problems arise, we do need to try to take care of them quickly. And whenever there are disputes over uh, things regarding doctrine, regarding the truth of God's Word, there are sources that we have that we can go to to get those ironed out if we are willing to uh, submit to those sources. Mm -hmm. And the biggest one that we have is the Word of God. We need to take everything back to the Word of God and make sure that uh, what we believe is actually taught in Scripture. Okay, uh, We can also go to uh, seasoned Christians that uh, have some experience, some knowledge and things, and be able to ask those questions to them. That's what Paul and Barnabas was doing. That's what the this early church was doing, was saying, okay, we need to go to someone who is able to help us in this matter. We need to look outside of ourselves and get some input on this. They were doing that. And uh, one thing that I, I did stress last week in this is that this wasn't a... Uh, this wasn't a foundation or a, a beginning of a, a church hierarchy in the idea that there is a power and authority up on top that is being exercised over everyone else, but instead that the ones from the bottom are coming to these guys as uh, they're coming to them willingly to see this, uh, see this problem through, to find a solution to this problem. So it's not a matter of uh, like the papacy, that there is the Pope and the, all the bishops and everyone that is reigning over the other churches. They use this passage uh, to try to justify that, but that's not what we find here. It's not a top-down approach. It was uh, the churches were seeking for insight, seeking for understanding to this disagreement to other people who had a walk with God, who had access to God, who had a... Uh, had a testimony that they were reliable and that they were someone that could help them to work through this problem, okay? And so we saw all those things last week. And before we move on out of this passage with this uh, Jerusalem Council, the last thing that I want to look at in this is something we just barely touched on last week, and it was the, um, the final sentence, if you will, the final... Uh, decree their their solution that they came up with, and we talked last week that they they came up with four different things that they were going to give to the Gentiles and say, okay, you don't have to keep the law in order to be a, a Christian. You don't have to keep uh, circumcision. You don't have to keep the dietary laws. You don't have to do all of these things to become a Christian. But they came up with somewhat of a a compromise to appease the Jews, and they gave them. Four things that would have been uh, greatly uh, valued by the Jews, but it would have been fairly easy for the Gentiles to submit to, okay? And they said, okay, if you do these things, you do well. And so we're going to start with that, and then we're going to continue on through the rest of this chapter here. Uh, let's go ahead and look at verse 28. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost... There's an important thing. They were being sure to be led of the Holy Spirit, seeking God's will and not just man's. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye you keep yourselves ye you shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered uh, the multitude together, they delivered the epistle which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also exhorted, uh, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching 
the word of the Lord with many others also. And so what I want to bring out from this passage is the fact of how simple their instructions were to the Gentiles. Okay, And as we look at this, think about who the Gentiles were, what their background was. We don't want to read this from a 21st century perspective. We don't want to read this from a, an American or European or wherever you're from perspective. We want to put ourselves back in this position where they were at, what they were dealing with. And so these Gentile believers had come from paganism. They had come from idol worship. They had all of the gods of the Canaanites and of that region, and they had grown up under those systems, followed those for hundreds or thousands of years, right? And so they had followed these systems of paganism, of idol worship, following after false gods and the customs, which often included uh, things such as child sacrifice, uh, some of the ones that were uh, goddesses of... uh, fertility and reproduction, things like that. They would worship through all sorts of uh, fornication, uh, sexual sins and deviance, things like that. This would have been common to them. This would have been culture. This would have been things that was just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill. They wouldn't bat an eye at it. We look at it in horror. We look at it as if it was something absolutely ridiculous, that, you know, child sacrifice and prostitution, right? But this wouldn't have been anything incredibly uh, uh, provocative to them. It wouldn't have been anything that would have really stood out to them. And with them coming from that background and coming to Christ, the message that was proclaimed is that there is a God in heaven. He created all things, and he created you. And not only that, but he loves you. Because what were most of the pagan gods like? Anyone study it out? Anyone know anything about some of the, the pagan gods and goddesses of past times? Demanding. Demanding. Mm-hmm. Cruel. What? Yeah. So they would take basically uh, the excesses of humanity and apply them to their gods, right? Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes they were angry. They were vengeful. Mm-hmm. They were lustful, right? Mm-hmm. You start studying out Greek mythology or Roman mythology and it is a mess. And it is the gods are doing all kinds of perverse and perverted things. And essentially what they did with these gods is they said, if I was God, what would I be like? Right? And most people, if they had that kind of power, if they had that kind of influence, would not be loving and benevolent. They would be greedy, selfish, uh, demanding, as, as Fergus said. Right? And this is what these gods become. And they were excesses of some of the worst of humanity. And so these people followed these gods out of fear of them because they knew, according to their teachings, that if they didn't please these gods, then these gods, in very uh, petty and childish ways, would wreak vengeance on these people. So if our crops are failing, we need to find some way to appease the gods so that our crops will grow again. And so we're going to do, for instance, as I said, child sacrifice, right? Uh, And so they go through all these different things trying to appease their gods. And whenever the gospel comes to them, they bring out all of these truths of the word of God, showing God's presence in creation, showing... um, through the Old Testament, because they didn't have the New Testament yet, showing the prophecies that were fulfilled, the truths that were expounded, all these different things laying a groundwork to these people and saying God is a loving God. Yes, he is a just God and he is a holy God, but he has promised since the very beginning that he was going to send someone to pay your sin debt, to pay your price, and Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you, and he's made a way for you to be saved. And the pagans looked at that, and they said, I like that. Okay? And it wasn't just a matter of like being a buffet and saying, well, this God's better than this God, because that's what they were used to, right? They'd go through and pick which gods they liked. Okay? Uh, Just drawing a parallel to modern days, think about uh, saint worship and praying to saints today. And everybody's got their favorite saint. 
within Catholicism, within Eastern Orthodoxy and all these things, they have their favorite saints that they'll pray to, right? I know we were uh, talking with one of our neighbors the other day in the little store in our village, and uh, Emily had lost her wallet. I think maybe I'd mentioned this in church. It's been a little while. Emily had lost her wallet, so we went to the, the lady at the store, and she was saying how we needed to go and pray to St. Anthony and give money at the church and do all these different things. And that through all of that, that Emily would be able to find her wallet. Okay? And we look at that uh, from our perspective as biblical Christians, and we say, that well, that's not in the Bible. That's warmed over paganism. Instead of Zeus and Aphrodite, they've got saints such and such and so and so, right? And a lot of times their view of God and of uh, how God works very much is comparable with the pagans of the day, right? Mm -hmm. That somehow God is resistant to us. He doesn't even like us. And so we've got to find somebody else that he does like that has performed at a higher level than we did and that has been uh, elevated to sainthood. And if we go through them, then they're going to be able to talk God into showing us favor. It's formed over paganism. But I, I'm not going through all this just to pick one on those, those uh, religions. But what we find in this is that the, the pagans of the day were looking at what their religion taught and looking at what the apostles in the early church was teaching and God was drawing them to himself. God was convicting them with his Holy Spirit. He was showing himself, bearing witness within these people. And the Bible says no man can come unto God unless the Father draw him. God was drawing these people unto himself. And they were being born again. The Holy Spirit was inhabiting them. They had a joy and an excitement that the God of all creation loved them, died for them, paid the penalty of their sins, wanted a relationship with them, and that they could learn of him, that they could grow in him, that they could be seeking after him. And one day they were going to go and reside with him. This was exciting to these pagans that for so long had seen the gods as being someone Fearful and churlish, right? And so as they are growing, as things are going on, as these Jews come and start teaching them that, okay, we're glad that you are saved. We're glad that you believed upon Christ. But in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to either be saved or stay saved, you're going to have to do all these other things. That would have been throwing them right back into the systems that they were out of, right? This would have been undoing everything that God was doing in their lives, and really it was going to be throwing water on their fire. And so as they had this meeting, they came to this conclusion, they had consulted with the law, the prophets, what the Bible said about it, uh, with the evidence that had been shown through the Holy Spirit being given and... Uh, God working through Peter there with Cornelius, all these different things. And they said, okay, we need to make it clear to these Gentiles, to these prior pagans, that this isn't what God is about. But at the same time, we've got to balance things out because the Jews are so attached to a lot of these things. And if we don't put a couple of these requirements on the Gentiles, then it's going to divide the church. It's going to make a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And that was never God's intention either. And so as we see these four things that are given, they came out of idolatry. And so it wasn't, it wasn't too much to ask them to leave their idolatry. Right? So abstain from meats offered to idols. So people would say, okay, if this was offered in the temple, doesn't matter if you believe in the idol or not, this had an affiliation with a pagan idol, so you need to cut ties with that. Okay? And the Gentiles could say, okay, well, we can do that. That's all right. Right? Not only that, it says, and from blood, because that was a big hang-up for the Jews. Things strangled. And from fornication. And so fornication was the sexual sins. 
Uh, that's not too much to ask a new believer. Don't worship idols. Don't have anything to do with idols. Okay? Don't do things that's going to offend some of the more sensitive brethren. And cease from fornication. So that's a very mild thing that they're putting out on these new believers. Right? Very reasonable things to ask of them. And the response of these new believers is that they rejoiced in the consolation. They said, hey, we'll gladly do that if we don't have to keep the dietary laws and be circumcised and all of these other things that they're trying to force on us. Okay, And so they were happy with that. And the reason I'm bringing all of this out for us today is how does this apply to us today as Christians? How does this apply to us today as a church and as believers? Just think on it for a moment because... If we're not careful, whenever people come to Christ, they come from all different backgrounds, right? They come from different religions. They come from different cultures. They come from all these different things, and they believe upon Christ. The gospel is preached to them, if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, acknowledge that you're a sinner, trust his payment for your sins, and you shall be saved. Okay, they're saved. They're excited. Things are going well. What is oftentimes our response after someone gets saved? What is oftentimes the church's or Christianity's response to that person? Okay, welcome to the family. Here is the list of rules. Right? Well, well I think that, that, is, uh, that is what is common. Anyway. Mm -hmm. If you look into it, Deeply, as well as there's more to it than just that. Mm -hmm. When there's a new convert in the house of God, mm -hmm. the first thing is that he or she is welcome, mm -hmm. and the next step is to enroll him or her in the beginner's class. In the beginner's class, where he or she will be exposed to the rudiments of scripture, mm -hmm. where he'll be taught and nurtured in the word of God. Mm -hmm. And because it is not automatic. Mm -hmm. It's not dramatic. Mm -hmm. Like we see in some instances in scripture where you see that compassion experience was dramatic. Mm -hmm. In this instance, it is not dramatic. You expose them to the original blood mm -hmm. and you expect them to grow. Mm -hmm. Because the flesh must die. Mm -hmm. There's something that will kill the flesh. Mm -hmm. It affects the exposure to the truth of scriptures. Mm -hmm the ability to ground the person in the Word of God. And as the person is being exposed to the Word of God, as he shows interest in the Word of God, is building his life mm -hmm. on the scripture foundation. Mm -hmm. And if you observe the person, gradually he or she will be growing, growing into the fullness of the mm -hmm. stature of Christ. Mm -hmm. That is the normative, that is the scriptural, you know, uh, uh, predictions or dictates to it, mm -hmm. right? So it's just more than welcoming him, welcome mm -hmm. to the house of God. It's mm -hmm. more than that. There must mm -hmm. be a teaching. Mm -hmm. There must be a grounding. There must be an exposure to the logo and the rema of the word of God. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with what we're looking at with this, um, the Great Commission, whenever it was given, it was to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, right? So that's the beginning of it. The assumption is that the ones who believe, whenever you're preaching the gospel, it says teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever we've commanded you, right? And so this is a process that we find in Scripture, and a lot of times we uh, we get in, unbalanced about it, okay? And so we will um, we'll emphasize evangelism, will emphasize going out, preaching the gospel to every creature. Then they get saved, right? And we'll even follow through with baptism because it says baptizing in the name of the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? So we'll preach the gospel, we'll baptize them, and then we move on to the next one a lot of times. And sometimes with what we are talking about there earlier, we kind of try to dumb it down a little bit because it's easier just to hand off a system of rules. Okay, it's easier to say this is what, okay, as a Christian, this is what we think you ought to look like. And so, what, as we were saying a moment ago, welcome to the family, do all this stuff. Okay, 
And so it is dumbing it down. It is bypassing what God actually wants to do in that person. And what uh, Brother Victor was saying there a minute ago, talking about teaching them in the scriptures, that is what we're supposed to be doing is uh, teaching them to observe all things. That's one reason why we come together as a church is that all of us need to be exposed to the scripture. We need to be communicating in the scripture, uh, discussing the scripture, and growing in the scripture so that it can make a difference in us. Okay, And so what the, the Jews were wanting to do is they were saying, this is what we think that a Christian should look like. This is what a Jewish Christian looks like. So this is what all Christians should look like. So welcome to Christianity. Now look like one of us. Okay, And if we're not careful, we do this very same thing to new believers. And it can be a, an off-putting thing. It can be something that's going to stunt them from the very beginning or turn them away from God altogether, okay? So instead, what we find in Scripture, what we find going on here is that the people were growing already without all of the rules. The people was growing already without the Jews' input because they had uh, the process going on, which we, we call discipleship. It's organic. It's life on life. It is learning. It is uh, learning the principles and precepts of God's Word. And as we are uh, immersed in God's Word, as we are surrounded by God's people, as we are learning from those who've already been there, God is doing a work in our heart and changing and transforming and making us into something new. Okay, And it does take that exposure to God's Word and to God's people for that to happen. And it's supposed to be, as I said, life on life. It is supposed to be a continuing process. As Victor said, it's not an immediate thing. It isn't something, okay, I'm saved. I'm completely different now. But instead, I am saved, and God is beginning to transform me from the inside outward. Okay? And so that's what God's seeking to do. That's what was going on with these people is that God, even though they came from the depths of paganism, even though their lives had been marred by some of the most wicked things that we could imagine, God was doing a work in them and making something new out of them. Okay? And if we try to short-circuit the process, we are going to cause damage. Because this is what God wants to do as we are... Uh, living out Christianity together as we are discipling one another, the Bible puts a good bit of emphasis, Paul specifically puts a good bit of emphasis, and we'll see this here in a minute, on the effect that we have on one another. He talks about the elder uh, instructing the younger, the younger learning from the elder, the older women teaching the, the younger women, the older men teaching the, right? We see those things going on in, in Scripture, and this is his pattern, that it is a lifestyle, that it is a continuing thing, and it's an organic thing that God is going to be doing from the inside outward. And we need to have patience. We need to give, uh, give liberty to folks so that they can grow at God's rate. Okay? And this is an excuse for uh, laziness. It's actually, it takes a lot more self-control and a lot more uh, intentionality to do it this way. Because how easy it is it for, okay, Peter got saved, and then I give him a list of rules and say, well, you need to dress this way, you need to talk this way, you can go here, you can't go here, uh, throw this away, uh, don't listen to that, don't watch this, watch this instead. Mm -hmm. Right? And that tends to be the, the mentality a lot of times. But here's the thing. If we leave it to the Holy Spirit to God, to this continual learning process, learning Christ, okay? He can do a work deep down within in the heart of man to transform them and make them a completely different person. And it is going to be much more effective. It is going to be more lifelong and lasting than what me trying to enforce my roles, my beliefs, my uh, convictions and standards on someone else is ever going to be, right? Now, this isn't saying that uh, whenever a new believer comes to Christ, there may not be a few things they need instructed in. We see this here, right? It's like, okay, you were a pagan. You were an idol worshiper. It's time for you to put the idols away, right? Uh, sexual sin was a common practice for you, but this is something that is destructive for you. This is something for you to turn away from, right? And so whenever the new believer comes to Christ, there may be a few sinful and wicked practices in their life, and it's like, okay, 
this is the first things we need to work on. Not a, a list of rules and whatnot, but it's like, okay, uh, so you've been drunk and passed out in the, in the ditch this week. You've come to Christ now. Maybe this alcohol is something we need to work on. You can no longer continue pursuing this and being a drunk. We need to be working on this. Not condemning them because they have a problem with alcohol, but instead coming alongside them and helping them pass it, right? Mm -hmm. That's as an example. And so there's other things as well, but it's not going down to the nitty-gritty of their life and saying, okay, we're going to turn your life upside down because you've become a Christian and we're going to demand all of these things, and we're going to stand back here and tap our foot and wait until you get in line. Right? And so with what they gave the Gentiles here, these new believers, to do, it was reasonable, it was simple, and God did great things without having all of this piled on top of them. It amazes me to see the growth of the Gentiles throughout the, the rest of the New Testament, they had their problems, they had their struggles, they reverted into some uh, bad practices, occasionally wrong teachings and stuff like that. But God was working through them and in them, and we are here today because God's way works, right? Because God used people down throughout time, he draw, drew them to himself, he transformed their lives, Christianity continued, and it continues to this day in spite of us being imperfect people in spite of our humanity, in spite of all the troubles that we have, right? And so with that, does anyone have any questions, any comments what we talked about so far? Yes, I quite agree with you. Uh, the, the nerve of getting transformed mm -hmm. as a Christian is in growing up to become like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what makes it possible is discipleship, mm -hmm. which many churches don't even know the year. Many churches they pay deaf ears to it. Mm -hmm. And the more we do that, the more we are trying on a dangerous line. Mm -hmm. But the only way to teach a man to become like Jesus is through discipleship. If Christ mm -hmm. commanded, mm -hmm. remove discipleship, they are killing a man. Mm -hmm. The man cannot the man cannot make it up to heaven. So discipleship is teaching a man to grow in Christ. That is what now we're saying that I'm pressing on the upward way, mm -hmm. new heights I'm getting every day. Mm -hmm. Still praying as I honorable man. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Because my aim, my son, is higher ground. Mm -hmm. So there's no two ways to, two way to eat. No two ways about it. Mm -hmm. It's our desire as a believer is to keep growing, to keep, you know, pressing on the upward way. Mm -hmm. Paul said, I press on toward the mark of my high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in Romans chapter 7, I was well exposed to the nitty of this issue. Mm -hmm. You know, that what I would like to do, I don't know. You do this thing, I wouldn't like to do. That mm -hmm. the things I find myself doing, you know, he dissected it for us to right. understand the predicaments we are exposed to as yeah. humans. As long as we allow the flesh to struggle with the spirit, mm -hmm. the spirit and the flesh they can't, they can never coexist. Mm -hmm. They are always at opposition. Mm -hmm. So discipleship is what will make it happen. Mm -hmm. Like those uh, code of conduct, as I would say, mm -hmm. that. Paul and Barnabas were given to hand over to the Gentiles, mm -hmm. as we see in 28 chapter, a verse of this chapter 15. Mm -hmm. You know, obtain from idol worship, obtain from blah, 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 blah. It can only be possible mm -hmm. through the implanting of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. but many of us will find ourselves in such a predicament when we give the life of Jesus. Because the church, the woman will come back with still miss of her friend to go and drink, to go and fornicate, to go and commit adultery. Mm -hmm. And it goes on and on and on until Jesus decided mm -hmm. to arrest us, sit us down, to fight a disciple mm -hmm. who disciple us, mm -hmm. and start growing in Christ mm -hmm. until we begin to manifest the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
That is the new birth. If there's no new birth, we can't make it. So discipleship is very, very crucial to our transformation, our our generation, our abstaining from all these idols, prop and every other thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the goal in all that is to see growth, to see the Christian grow into what Christ would have them to be. And uh, as you're saying, it takes discipleship, it takes growing in the Word. And the idea of discipleship throughout Scripture is this idea of, uh, as Jesus chose out his disciples, they were uh, setting under him, they were uh, learning from him day to day as they went through as I said, life on life, they were uh, seeing an example of someone who was um, further down the road than what they were. Does that make sense? Of course, Jesus was far down the road further than what they were. But it was someone further down the road that they could see, okay, this is what the Christian life looks like lived out. This is the principles they're living their life by. And so they had this way of uh, seeing it practically, right? Right. Uh, and that's why I say it's organic. It is not something that can be manufactured. It's not something that comes with rules and everything. It is, okay, I'm looking at the principles of God's Word. I'm seeing them displayed on God's people, and I am desiring, and this is a key, okay? I am desiring to see that in my life. But here's one of the problems that we find throughout Scripture and we find in our own lives and in our modern time is that a lot of people don't desire to grow any further, don't desire to become disciples, and that can be for various reasons. Does that mean they're not saved? No, it doesn't. It can mean that uh, either there was a lack somewhere in their understanding of God, there was a lack in uh, their instruction from people who should have been caring for them and guiding them. It could just be that for the time being, the cares and concerns of this world has drew their heart away from God. But we find in Scripture that there is a difference between a believer and a disciple. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. And this might be a little bit of a side road, but the Bible tells us that salvation is free. But Jesus told his disciples that discipleship was costly. Right? Whenever he talks about, uh, take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, count the cost. Right? Talks about a man uh, starting out to to build a building project, not first of all budgeting and making sure he had the means to finish it, and then stopping along the way because he couldn't finish it. That was the idea of discipleship, because you can be saved, have your sins forgiven, and trust Christ for your eternity. And if you never see the value of growing in Christ, if you never fall in love with Him and seek to become like him and seek to have him work in your life, you can just kind of wither away there. Yes, you're a believer. Yes, your sins have been forgiven, but you are never going to become what Christ would have you to be. You're never going to experience that relationship and that peace that you could have with God, walking in God, as long as you're still sitting back here at the starting line. Okay, salvation is just the beginning point, and he desires you to move forward from that beginning point and to grow in Christ. But in so doing, there's going to be some things that you're going to put aside. There's going to be some things that you're going to say no to. There are some things that you're going to put your eyes upon Christ. You're going to put your eyes upon him and desire him and esteem him more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. And through that, you're going to see growth. You're going to see uh, overcoming sin and the strongholds in your life. You're going to see the benefits of being a believer and following him. And this is where the growth comes in at. And I think, unfortunately, in the day and hour that we live in, that many churches are full of people who are disciples of this world and may be believers in Christ, but their eyes, their heart, their affections are on the things here, and they're trying to learn the ways of this world rather than the ways of Christ. Okay, And this is a danger that we have, and we have to um, we have to evaluate ourselves and make sure, first and foremost, that we are His to begin with, because we can be deceived. And then after that, we need to say, well, what is it that I am living for? Am I living for this life, or am I living for Christ? 
And if our heart, if our affection isn't toward Christ, there is a problem somewhere. There is a disconnect somewhere that we need to see that Christ is more precious than all of the riches of this world, that our life is eternal and this life on this earth is but a vapor. And we don't want to put all of our attention and all of our focus on the few years we have down here whenever God has an eternity which we're going to live with him. And so whenever we get our focus right, our attention right, then our lives are going to get right as well. Okay? So with that, I want to, I want to go ahead and move on to the last part of this chapter. And this is really shifting gears. It's looking at something different, but it's going to make sense here in a minute. It's going to tie together because, uh, because God's the one that wrote this. God is the one that authored the scripture, and it's not disjointed. It's not disconnected. It all, it all flows together. So Acts chapter number 15, verse 36. I'll go ahead and read verse 35. It says, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not, thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And so anyway, as we look at this passage, Barnabas and Paul spent some time in the church at Antioch. They were preaching, they were instructing, they were discipling the new believers there. They were instructing them in the faith, and it would have been a beautiful thing to be a part of, seeing all of them working together, encouraging one another, and see all these new believers growing. But it says that there were many others also there that were capable of doing the same thing that Barnabas and Paul was. And so how did that come about? This church hadn't been established very long. These people hadn't been saved very long. They were growing. God was blessing, and he was giving them the giftings, the abilities that they need to minister one to another, right? Rather than just being sponges and soaking everything up, they were also giving back. And so the ones that were a little further down the road were looking back to the ones that were before them, helping them, instructing them, and pulling each other all along. So growth was happening. And as Paul looked around, he said, there are plenty of workers in this field, right? We understand the, the illustration there. Jesus said, pray you therefore for laborers into the harvest for the, uh, the harvest is uh, white. It's, yeah, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And so Paul is basically looking at Antioch. He's saying there's plenty of laborers in this field, but if we look around us, there are so many other fields that have no laborers. So why should we stay here whenever they've got it under control when we could go back and we need to go and check on all of these churches through the region of Galatia and see how they're doing? Paul had a burden and a love for all of these new believers. He knew that uh, false teachers were going around and trying to subvert them, trying to turn them aside. And so he said, I need to go back and help minister to these people and bring them along a little bit. I need to confirm them. I need to strengthen them in their faith so that it will stand. And so as he tells his burden for these churches to Barnabas, Barnabas says, hey, it's a great idea. Let's go, but let's take Mark with us. Remember how I said at the very beginning of this that there's constant troubles and contentions that come along and Satan trying to throw discord in and trying to wreck everything, and they constantly have to uh, deal with these issues. So in this passage, we have Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo. Barnabas is the son of consolation. He is the encourager. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. They are great heroes of the faith, and they have a disagreement. Because they're human, yeah. They have a disagreement. And so with us as Christians here today, we would think that Paul and Barnabas of all people would be on the same page or should be able to get on the same page, right? We look at it, we pull the spiritual card and say, well, why don't you pray about it and see what the Lord would have you to do? 
the Lord guided them in many different things, but it's apparent that he's silent in this time. And so what are they to do here? And so here's the, the contention between them. Paul says, I don't want to take Mark. He deserted us in Pamphylia. But Barnabas says, I want to take Mark because he's my nephew. <laughs> Nepotism. Anyway, he's my nephew. And not only that, Barnabas is always giving people a second chance. So I want to ask you a question. Who was right? Who was wrong in this, in this situation? In this argument, who was right and who was wrong? Well, we don't know exactly how long it was. But I, I would say, if you look at the after effects mm -hmm. of that disagreement, mm -hmm. I would say both of them were right. Okay. Because the it 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 tended out or it, it the effect was that it further the spread of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because fine, Barabbas gave him a second chance. Paul has his reason not to want to bring them along with them because in their first journey it, it deserted them. Mm -hmm. That is a cogent reason enough. Mm -hmm. But then what happened at the end of the day was that Paul was Paul was with his mother, but his gospel got widened. Mm -hmm. And if I have to compare, most times I compare. But I mean, Mark to Demas. Mm -hmm. I think in the book of uh, with this uh, title, so I can't remember now, where Paul was saying that the second, the second Timothy, I think. Yes, Demas has deserted me. Mm -hmm. so that was a terrible thing. If you look at the after effect of the life of Mark, Mark also became a great apostle. Mm -hmm. But Demas, we don't like, know what happened to him. His life was not what was not redeemable. Mm -hmm. We don't what happened there. I know it was not well with him. He really went the set. Let me use the word the set. You know. So that is the 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 way I want to compare both. So both of them are right. Okay. Got two wrongs coming right. Okay. The Lord was right because when we see through the scripture, okay, because he gets the chance to heal, and you know, Paul maybe noticed that he actually didn't do the good things. You know that he's supposed to be more, more willing to give the chance to people. You know, I think the Barnabas was was right, not Paul, at this time. Yeah, I will agree with that. For me, it's like uh, Paul was right, was was wrong, okay. both spiritually and fleshly. That's okay. my mind. Because if we go through scripture, there is a big knowledge that Paul has at the time. Mm -hmm. So he, 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 he's got experience of things of God. Mm -hmm. He's got experience of things of the flesh because he... he, he According to scripture, that I, I'm trying to connect to see where they were at that time spiritually. Mm -hmm. They were still coming up as a as a newborn, mm -hmm. but according to scripture, it seems like they, they have it all spiritually. Mm -hmm. So Paul could have been wrong after having all this evidence and proof of rejecting Mark, mm -hmm. and uh, that's spiritually. Fleshly, he was given a chance himself. Mm -hmm. Being myself, giving a chance. He wasn't extending the same grace that he had been given? Probably. He could mm -hmm. have thought fleshly, okay, if I'm, I've, I've been given a chance, why not giving someone else mm -hmm. someone else a chance? So for me, I would say, Paul was just wrong spiritually and fleshly. Well, but let again, me, let me okay, hold on a second. But again, I, I think... The final word in miss is just 
it was God's preparation mm -hmm. to split up his gospel. Yeah, okay. let me read what I have here in this commentary. It says in the 15th, 36 to 41, the discordant separation of Paul and Barnabas is indicated by a very strong word in Greek. Their disagreement was so sharp. It was mm -hmm. an other disagreement between two godly men about whether John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, according to Colossians 14, should be given a second chance to accompany them on the missionary journey after he had deserted them in Pamphylia. The rift between Paul and John Mark was eventually healed. Mm -hmm. Second Timothy 4 11. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead, Fergus. Well, two points I'll make. One is it was Paul that was recommended by the church to the ministry, Silas just took uh, and went away, went his way. So as regards the church, um, Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Silas, uh, sorry, Barnabas didn't get that sending mm -hmm. off mm -hmm. by the church. And secondly, obviously, as uh, Scripture says later on, Paul says, send me Mark, he's useful to me. So mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't say, it wasn't such a case that, well, I've written him off never again. Mm. Maybe it was a case, well, you know, I just think this guy needs to be on the sideline, needs to be mature, grow, mm -hmm. and then when he's ready to take the power, he's ready to go into the power, mm -hmm. then I'll take him. And maybe that's what it was, I don't know. Yeah. Anyone else got an opinion? <laughs> So we have a question, who was right or wrong? Who was right, who was wrong? So that there's no way, um, if we have a question, right and wrong, and there's two people or two things involved, mm -hmm. and they're all both going to be right or wrong, mm -hmm. they have to be one who's right and one who's wrong. Mm -hmm. So in, in our mind, there has to yes. be. Yes. So okay. judgment comes according to what we will learn. Okay, Karina? Uh, very interesting what St. Mark about it. Uh, I ask, I would, I would like uh, Mark thinks maybe he didn't think mm -hmm. uh, about this situation. Uh, I think Paul uh, thinking of this uh, Mark, it's not uh, good, mm -hmm. but uh, still a better for this. Uh, for results, uh, what he first uh, verse, and uh, he went towards the uh, and Philippia, confirming the churches, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, they did him mm -hmm. without Mark. Maybe Paul uh, understand, understood so, okay. yeah, let me Let me use uh, a life, uh, in, in what happened in my life about my wife some years ago, mm -hmm. as a reference, right? Mm -hmm. So years back in my country, I have this uh, cousin of mine. They had this argument very short. It was far my senior. Mm -hmm. She argument between his wife and my wife. Mm -hmm. It was so terrible that uh, we live opposite each other, mm -hmm. but we don't we live, we live like cats and rats. Mm -hmm. And it came to a point that uh, in my church we were preparing for a harvest. Mm -hmm. My pastor gave me the scripture to preach on the on the on the Wednesday mm -hmm. concerning preparing for the harvest like this about mm -hmm. forgiving one another. Right. That if you do not forgive yeah. yourself, whatsoever you to bring before God yeah. on this altar, yeah, me, God would not accept. Yeah. That is sank deeply into me. My mind went straight to my cousin, mm -hmm. to my wife, very early in the morning, we are going to pay the visit. Mm -hmm. I called him, he said we had no problem. When I went, got to his compound, he was trying to start his car. I said we have come. He just never raised his head, the moment by my face. Mm -hmm. Eventually we went to his parlor and we sat down. I introduced what brought me. Mm -hmm. I said, we don't want to go into the long story. Mm -hmm. Could you please call your wife? When the wife came, when they had my wife's name, said, no, 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 she doesn't want to see charity. It was so terrible. Mm -hmm. So I went straight and I told the man that, I've come to beg you, if in the course of our rift, there is anything I've done wrong, please, 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 
for the boss. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. It was like I hit a coal of fire on his head. Mm -hmm. He went to his room, brought a bottle of wine, mm -hmm. pointed to the glass, called the wife, let's forget about this matter. Mm -hmm. And we drank to the ass. So was it. So after that, it was like a big body was rolled off mm -hmm. my life. Right. That was why I had the guts mm -hmm. to attend that task that year with joy and happiness. Yeah. So that is uh, mm. a life experience. Yeah. And so that was that was an issue that went on for a long time where there was animosity between the two of you and it was a hindrance to your walk with God, to your yeah. ministry, to relationship, and things like that. And so that's why we, we've got to be careful in our relationships with one another. But as we come back to this, my original question was Paul and Barnabas, whenever there was contention between the two of them, who was right, who was wrong? We've had people that said that Paul was wrong because he should have had more grace with Barnabas after as patient as God was with him and as patient as Barnabas had been with him, Right. Then we've got the idea that Barnabas was wrong because Paul was the one that ended up being sent out from uh, the church at Antioch, confirmed by the people and sent forth, right? And he's the one that's followed along from there onward in the book of Acts, right? Mm -hmm. Then several people have said that both were right, okay? And that goes against our way of thinking because in any situation, we think there needs to be a clear cut. That one's wrong. That one's right. And we oversimplify, uh, we oversimplify life. It's almost it's a, it's kind of naive in a way the way we oversimplify things because most situations are more complex, more difficult, more involved than what we give them credit for. As we look at this passage, we can look with the benefit of hindsight of seeing what the result was, right? And we can say, well, Barnabas. Uh, took Mark. Mark was restored. Mark was later found profitable unto Paul. We even find that whenever Paul is writing the book of Cor or Colossians, he says Mark is with him at that time. So Paul's reunited with Mark, and Mark is actually with Paul, ministering to Paul when Paul's writing the book of Colossians. When Paul was imprisoned and getting ready to face death in 2 Timothy, whenever he says, I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith, he says, bring Mark because he is profitable unto the, to the ministry. And we look at all that and say, oh, look, Barnabas was right. But did they know any of that at that time? They didn't have a crystal ball. They didn't have the benefit of foresight. And so here's where I landed all this. This is where I come back to is the fact that both men were doing what was right to the best of their knowledge at that time. Okay? So Paul is looking at this, and he's saying, Mark has not got the maturity level. He comes against difficulty, and whenever we are in a bind, we can't count on him. This is dangerous for Mark, because we look at it as, oh, come on, have a heart, Paul. Be patient with, be patient with Mark, right? But Paul could also be looking out for Mark and saying, well, I don't want to put him in that position because it might be too much for him. It might ruin his faith. It might put him out of the faith altogether if he comes against this again and he runs away again. And so for Mark's sake, I think he needs a less rigorous journey. I think he needs to stay here and learn and grow for a little bit. For the sake of the churches that we're going to minister to, if they see Mark cut and run, one of the you know the ministry team just goes astray, they're going to have questions. It's going to be muddying up the ministry. It's going to be hard on these uh, new believers' faith to see him fall aside, right? And so Paul is looking at this, and he's looking at Barnabas as well, and he might be saying, I know, Barnabas, how hard it was whenever Mark left the first time. I know how hard it was on you, Barnabas, and how difficult it was for you to minister after he left. I don't know that we need to put you in that position again. And Paul might have been invested in Bar or excuse me, in Mark already, and Paul might have been greatly hurt by Mark's betrayal. And so in all of this, Paul is looking at it and saying, this isn't a wise thing to do for Mark, for Barnabas, for Paul, for the churches, so we don't want to take the chance on this right now. 
But Barnabas is looking at it and he's saying, well, while we were up at Jerusalem, I spent some time in my sister's house. I spent some time with Mark. I sat down and had great conversations with him at night. I told him about all of the things that we went through after he left. And he was excited about it. He was repentant, remorseful because he abandoned us. And he has grown a lot. Things are going well. And I think that he would be a good fit. He wants another chance. He wants to prove his mettle this time. And so I think we should bring him because I just think that this is going to be something that's going to encourage him, that's going to help him. He's really going to grow. He can be an asset to the ministry. They both had good reasons, right? with the information they had at that point in time. And so Paul is saying, what's best for the ministry? Barnabas is saying, what's best for Mark? Mm -hmm. And both of them are very much invested. Their heart, their spirit, their mind, all of these things are looking at this situation and they can't come to an agreement. And I don't think that this was pride, I don't think that this was them being fleshly. I don't think that this was them just being contentious or stubborn. They were legitimately looking at this from a spiritual perspective, trying to figure out what was best. And neither of them was able to budge because they were fully convinced by the knowledge they had at that time. So if you haven't figured out by now, I think that it is possible for both of them to be right at the same time and God to be okay with this separation, okay? I don't think that this was a sin. I don't think this was them going against God. And God never in Scripture uh, reprimands either of them for this decision. It was just something that was necessary at this point in time. And what God ended up using it for is that one ministry team became two, They still went forward. They still went back and confirmed the churches they'd been at. And where they went on a loop through that region, one of them went from either side of the loop. Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, Paul and uh, Silas went up through backward through the regions of Galatia. Uh, Barnabas and Mark went from the very beginning where they started out with through uh, Cyprus and those, Cyprus or Cyrene. But anyway, through those areas where they began, And so basically, Mark was going with Barnabas back to the same places he had already been, to the people he had already met, to the people he was already accustomed to and ministering to. And so he was seeing the ones he was connected with. And God blessed it. But here's the important part about all of it. Whenever they went separate ways, they didn't break that relationship. They just broke that uh, partnership. We don't find that Paul is trash-talking Barnabas. We don't find that Barnabas is trash-talking Paul. We don't find that there's bitterness and animosity between them. We don't find that Mark has been bitter toward Paul and completely against him because he's ministering with him later on. We don't find that Paul was prodded up so much that he wasn't willing later on to welcome Mark in after he had proven himself a little bit, right? And so my point from all of this is as Christians— As we're going along, it is important for us to be humble. It's important for us to be walking with God and have a relationship with God. And there are going to be times that as we're going along, there's going to be some things, not necessarily doctrine, but there's going to be some things that we may not get along with other people on. There may be some disagreements that we have with other people who are just as godly, just as desiring to do what God would have us to do as what we are, but we might see things differently because of the direction that we're coming from, the perspective that we're seeing with, and there is nothing wrong with that. But what does become wrong is when we have the wrong heart and the wrong attitude, when we allow bitterness to come in, whenever we allow this contention to stay to where we become opponents instead of, uh, as we see here, two people on the same side in different locations, right? And so sometimes we have to see it as that way. Within Christianity, uh, the, the guy up the road that sees things slightly different than me, he is not the enemy. I'm not going to tear him down tear down his ministry and say he's ungodly and wicked because he doesn't dot his I's and cross his T's the same way as I do. But instead, well, we may have some disagreements. And so praise the Lord, God used you in that area. 
and hopefully God will use me in this area, right? And we need to keep the right heart, the right attitude about this. And the result of this going on was that they went out, they ministered to a large group of people. We find that Paul and Silas had a great ministry, not just in the churches that they went back to establish, but that God sent them onward and that they even went up through Europe as well as through the regions of Asia and the Middle East. And God used them mightily, but God also used Barnabas and Mark. We don't know as much about them. There's a little bit of uh, extra biblical historical records that's out there that says that they went on down through and maybe even through some of the, the northern part of Africa ministering and planting churches in that area. God used them as well. And so praise the Lord for that. And so it doesn't have to be I'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong and I'm right or any of these different things. Sometimes we have to realize from the place that we are, we need to seek to serve God to the best of our ability and leave some room for difference. Because, as I said, God never does put it down that one of them was right one of them was wrong. God used them both in spite of this. They didn't blow up the church. They didn't quit. They didn't go out in bitterness. They continued on for the glory of God. And that's what we should strive to do as well, even whenever we don't see everything eye to eye, right? So anyway, I am beyond my time today, but does anyone have anything else to add to this today? Any other thoughts on this? Nothing else? Okay, well, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll take a break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much, Lord, for this passage that we have as we can study out and see the way that the early church was coming together. And even in their differences and their difficulties, they were still striving to glorify you and to, to disciple and to encourage and to grow others, Lord. We just pray, Lord, ask you, help us, Lord, to be able to learn from them. Help us, Lord, to be able to, to imitate them, Lord. And we just thank you for being so good to us, Lord, we thank you for the folks that are here. Ask you, Lord, just to bless our time together. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.